Our scripture passage today is a part of chapter 46 and chapter 47. For those of you who are visiting, we are going through the book of Genesis, chapter by chapter. And what we're studying now is some of the most important things in human history. The whole history of the world since these days has been shaped by what took place in the lives of Jacob and Joseph. So we're going to read a lot of verses again. So you don't have to stand up today. So turn to Genesis 46, verse 28, and we'll read that through the 47th chapter. Take note of every word. Genesis 46, 28. Now he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out the way before him to Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. And Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as he appeared before him, he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a long time. Then Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face, that you're still alive. And Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's house, household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And it shall come about when Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? That you shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers, that you may live in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. Then Joseph went in and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers and their flocks and their herds and all that they have have come out of the land of Canaan, and behold, they're in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? So they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, both we and our fathers. And they said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flock, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now therefore please let your servants live in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. Land of Egypt is at your disposal. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them live in the land of Goshen. And if you know any capable men among them, then put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many years have you lived? So Jacob said to Pharaoh, The years of my sojourning are 130. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor have they attained the years that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, 
as Pharaoh had ordered. And Joseph provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to their little ones. Now there was no food in all the land because the famine was very severe so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. And Joseph gathered all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they brought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food, for why should we die in your presence? For our money is gone. Then Joseph said, Give up your livestock, and I will give you food for your livestock since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses and the flocks and the herds and the donkeys, and he fed them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent, and the cattle are my Lord's. There is nothing left for my Lord except our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food. We and our land will be slaves to Pharaoh. So give us seed that we may live and not die, and the land that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for every Egyptian sold his field because the famine was severe upon them. Thus the land was Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he removed them to the cities from one end of Egypt of Egypt's border to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had an allotment from Pharaoh, and they lived off the allotment which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have today bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, that you may sow the land. And at the harvest, you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own for, the, for seed of the field and for your food and for those of your households and as food for your little ones. So they said, You have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's slaves. And Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, valid to this day, that Pharaoh should have the fifth. Only the land of the priests did not become Pharaoh's. Now Israel lived in the land of Egypt in Goshen, and they acquired property in it and were fruitful and became very numerous. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. When the time for Israel, that is Jacob, to die drew near, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Please, if I have found favor in your sight, Place now your hand under my thigh, 
and deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. Please do not bury me in Egypt. But when I lie down with my fathers, you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. And he, that is Jacob, said, Swear to me. So he, that is Joseph, swore to him. Then Israel bowed in worship at the head of the bed. Why is that in the Bible? It's a part of the gospel. What you've got to see here is not some uninteresting, obscure facts about the relationship between the Hebrew people and the Egyptian Pharaoh. What we're reading about in these verses is a part of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's look at things. Where are we now? Well, we have seen that Joseph has been sold into slavery, and now he's been exalted to be the number two man in all of Egypt right under Pharaoh, and in many ways more powerful than Pharaoh is. He's the head of the whole economy and food supply, and in some ways more powerful. And uh, his brothers, who sold him into slavery, have come to Egypt to get food because there's a famine that's worldwide. And they're starving to death in Canaan, just like they're starving, starving to death in uh, Egypt and everywhere else in the world, the Bible says. And so they're coming to Egypt to get food. In the meanwhile, the only place in all the world, literally, the Bible says, only place in all the world where you could get food was at the feet of a Hebrew named Joseph, the number two man in the whole dynasty of Egypt. The brothers had no idea that they were coming to see Joseph. They had no idea that he was the number two man in all of Egypt. They come to Joseph. Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him because he's grown up since they saw him last. So Joseph makes it his life's work to lead his ten brothers to repentance, to conversion, and to renewed faith in Christ. Because there would never be a Savior of the world if there had not been the repentance of Jacob's sons back in the days of Joseph. And if there'd never been a savior of the world, you would never have any salvation. Now, why is it? I mean, I've said this every Sunday, but I love saying it. Why is it that there would not be a savior of the world if Jacob's sons had not repented of selling Joseph into Egypt? Because one of those sons would be the great-great-great-granddaddy of Jesus. Judah. And if those sons had not repented of their sins, and if those sons had allowed themselves to be dominated by the immorality of the Canaanites, and if those sons did not unite in faith, 
there would be eventually no tribe of Israel. There would be no 12 tribes of Israel. There would not be a son of Judah. And if there wasn't a son of Judah, there wouldn't have been a great, great, great grandson of Judah, the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we are now. Joseph has succeeded. The church, which is comprised of Jacob's family, the church is united now. It's been broken for three generations. It's united now. Joseph's brothers have, uh, have repented of their sins. There's tremendous time of reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers. Uh, they celebrate their reunion. And uh, now Joseph is using his authority to preserve the future of the church. Church was Jacob's family. And what we read today, which seems so irrelevant to us today, what Joseph did in these two chapters was to preserve the life and the unity and the godliness of the church throughout his lifetime and beyond. You say, what in the world is how can that be? What he did was he told them to tell them they were they were a cattlemen. He uh Destroyed all the money, ruined, gathered all the money in the whole country of Egypt, gathered all the cattle, gathered all the land, made everybody in Egypt a slave, then required a fifth of their income for taxes. That be so important to the salvation of the world. We'll see. Uh, Jacob and his sons were shepherds. And if there's anything that the Egyptians hated, it was shepherds. They were low-class people. So when all of his family comes to Egypt to get food, Joseph says, now when you're asked, what do you do for a living? Don't tell them you're shepherds. Well, that'll be disgusting to you, to them. Just tell them that you raise cattle, which was a partial truth because they did have cattle. So they're all excited. They're accepted. They have the best land. The Pharaoh's given them the best land in all of Egypt, literally. The land of Goshen was, you know, the, the, the great Nile River begins down in Central Africa and empties into the Mediterranean, many miles away. And the land of Goshen was the northeast corner of the delta of the Nile River as it flowed into the Mediterranean Sea. The best, most fertile real estate in all of Egypt. And also, Pharaoh said, you can have whatever you want. You can have the best land, whatever you need, I'll give to you. So Joseph's brothers were all excited and they forgot Joseph's advice. 
And so somebody comes up and asks them, what do you do for a living? Oh, we're shepherds. <laughs> that was God, you know. That was the sovereignty of God causing them to be so excited. They forgot the wise counsel of David, uh, of Joseph, not to tell that they're shepherds, but tell them they, they raise cattle. Why? Why did God have them forget what Joseph told them to do? Because that guaranteed religious, social, ethical segregation of the sons of Joseph, of, of Jacob, from all the Egyptians. You see, one of the reasons God, God got them down in the incubator of Egypt in the first place was because they were being too influenced by the immorality of the Canaanites. Now, the Canaanites were dominating their way of thinking. And God did not want his church to be dominated by the immorality of the Canaanites. So he sent them to the incubator of Egypt in the land of Goshen. And then he had the brothers give the wrong answer to guarantee that there wouldn't be any marrying, intermarrying between the Egyptians and the Hebrews because the Hebrew sheep herders were disgusting to the Egyptians. So, you notice the generosity of God throughout this whole picture. The unbelievable generosity of God to his people who did not deserve God's generosity. That God gave them through Pharaoh everything they wanted and God was being generous to, to them through the promise that he made that they would prosper. That was one of the promises that God made Abraham, their, great, their granddaddy, years before, that I'm going to cause you to prosper. And so now they're prospering. They're buying and selling property. They're free. They're the only people in all of Egypt that aren't slaves, that are making money. And uh, we see the generosity of God in this thing we see also the godliness of Jacob. Do you know what? Do you see what Jacob did twice? After they get down there, two times, it says that Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Now, that was not just a nice little greeting. This was a patriarch. This was one of the main officers in the church of that day. And when a patriarch blesses you, you are blessed indeed. So for Jacob to bless Pharaoh is to pray God's richest blessings down upon this pagan. Now you see who's being blessed and who's blessing. This great Christian Jacob is blessing this great pagan Pharaoh. Now, how do you explain that? God promised his ancestors, Jacob's ancestors, I will bless those who bless you, and those who curse you I will curse. And so Jacob is doing the very thing 
that God promised he would do. I want you to turn to the 29th chapter of Jeremiah. Jeremiah lived millennia after Joseph. Babylon has captured Israel. And uh, they've invaded the land. They've taken the people of God captive. And notice what God says. Verse 4 of chapter 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat the produce, take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not de decrease. And, Seek the welfare of the city of Babylon. They're captors. Ones that took them into captivity after they burned Jerusalem. Seek the welfare of the city. Why would God tell these people that are now slaves, the Babylonians, to seek the welfare of those that just conquered your country and took you captivity? Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will have welfare. If there's going to be peace in Babylon even though they're your captors if there's peace in Babylon there will be peace in the people of God. So we not only are to pray for our enemies that their efforts to destroy the church and destroy God's moral order would fail, we also are to pray for our enemies that there would be a measure of peace in the land, that there wouldn't be turbulence, there wouldn't be violence, they wouldn't be disorder, that there would be a measure of peace because that would be good for the church. If there's peace in America, if there's less disorder, less lawlessness, less turbulence, the church is going to be better off. So maybe we're still seeing so much turbulence in this land because we're praying the imprecatory psalms for America, but we're not praying for its welfare. We're praying that God would destroy all of its efforts to de-Christianize America, but we're not praying that God would keep there from being massive turbulence and lawlessness in the land which is what we're supposed to pray because the welfare of our enemies 
is good for the church. So I want you to uh, see in verse 11 something that people, this is just a little piece of history. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of, land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had ordered. Now it's because of that verse that most scholars believe that Pharaoh Ramses was the Pharaoh during the time of Joseph. Because here was a city named Ramses. Well, if you do a time chart and you go to the time of Ramses, you'll find there was no Hebrew migration or Canaanite migration to Egypt. There was no Hebrew second in command of Egypt. And so Ramses was not the Pharaoh. All this stuff took place earlier. But what Moses is saying here, he's calling this land Ramses because the people to whom um, Moses is writing would recognize the name of the place. It had another name back during the days of Joseph. Wasn't called Ramses back then. It had another name, but in and the Hebrews would not have known what that name was in Moses' day. But when he called it Ramses, they would know immediately where they're talking about. Okay, that was neither here nor there. Now, God sent Joseph to Egypt not only to preserve the life of Israel, but to preserve the life of Egypt for the sake of Israel. The Bible speaks of Joseph as a redeemer and a preserver of life. And what he did in his policies that he instituted were not only good for the Hebrews, it was good for the Egyptians. And he made things good for the Egyptians so they could protect and provide for Israel. So let's see what his policies were. This is his economic and political policies. So here Jacob, in verse 13, he provides for his father in verse 12. They have the best land. They buy and sell land. They're enjoying freedom. And in verse 13, now there was no food in all the land because the famine was very severe. So the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. So now Egyptians are starving. So what did Joseph do with his authority? Collected all the money of Egypt. <laughs> now I want you to look at these things and I want you to see if it reminds you of anything in, t in the 21st century. In other words, he's instituting socialist policies here. So, he controls the whole money supply. He doesn't give any food to the Egyptians out of charity. He makes them pay for it. Joseph gathered all the money that was found in the land of Egypt, land of Canaan, for the grain which they bought. 
And Joseph didn't keep any for himself. He brought all the money into Pharaoh's house. So now Pharaoh controls the money of Egypt. Then in verse 15, the famine was continuing. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt, the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food, for why should we die in, in your presence? Our money's gone. Our money's no good. You see, the important thing to bear in mind is they lost any future orientation. That's what inflation is. Inflation is not when uh, the government raises prices. Inflation is not even an increase of currency devaluating the do dollar. Inflation is when people no longer have a future orientation and they spend everything for food. They disregard the future and the needs of the future. They spend all of their dollars for food. They have no confidence the dollar is going to be any good in the future. All they care about now is to make sure we're fed. Sound familiar? So, they say to Joseph, verse 15, all our money's gone and we're still hungry. The famine's still going on. So, wise Joseph said, okay, great. Give me all your livestock <laughs> and I'll give you food. Give me all your animals and I'll give you food. So, all of the Egyptians gave Joseph their horses, their flocks, their herds, their donkeys. And Joseph gave them food. And now they have absolutely no livestock except that which is owned by the state. And then in verse 18, and when that year was ended, they came to him the next year and said, we're still hungry. There's still a famine going on. We've still given you all our money. We've given you all of our cattle and our livestock. There's nothing less for us to give you but our land and labor. There's nothing else to give you but our bodies and our lands. should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us! Buy our land, Pharaoh. And we and our land will be slaves to Pharaoh. So give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So what was the solution of the people? To sell themselves into slavery? and to sell all their property to the state. So now the Egyptians own no property, and the Egyptians didn't even own themselves. They were slaves to Pharaoh. The state owned all the property. The state owned all the livestock. The state controlled all the money. 
Verse 20, so Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for every Egyptian sold his field, because the famine was severe upon them. Thus the land became Pharaoh's. What else did he do? And as for the people, he removed them to, to the cities from one end of Egypt's border to the other. After taking everything from the Egyptian people, he gathers them up and puts them in cities where they're easy to control. Uh, controlling the population growth. What Adolf Hitler did with the Jews in places of slavery where he controlled them. Remember what Stalin did? He'd round up people and keep them in places where he controlled them in one place. Remember what the South Africans did? In apartheid, they put all the black tribes in certain places where they could live and forbid them to live in other places, easier to control. You ever heard of Indian reservations? Apartheid is a copy of Americans' Indian reservations, where we took uh, American Indians like the Cherokees in North Georgia, rounded them up, put them on a trail of tears, and put them out west in reservations where they could be controlled. Oh, this is Joseph's idea. The only people that they didn't have to move were the priests of the foreign, of the false gods because they were already on government payroll anyway. <laughs> and then, after, in verse 23, after they'd planted the seed that they got from Pharaoh, at harvest day, Pharaoh tax them 20%. And what did the people of Egypt do from, from Joseph's socialistic policies? Oh, this is terrible. Joseph is just a socialist. He's a liberal. He's a totalitarian. The state's controlling everything, and we have nothing. We need a conservative. Pharaoh. Is that what they said? No, they said in verse 25, you have saved our lives, Joseph. Praise the Lord for you. You've saved our lives for taking all of our property and all our money and all our livestock and our freedom away from us and giving it to the state. Now we are safe. Thank you, Joseph. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's. Slaves. Now Israel lived in the land of Egypt in Goshen, and they acquired property in it and were fruitful and became very numerous. They didn't give the state their property. They didn't give the state their real estate. They didn't give their state their freedom. They didn't let the state control their money. They were free. Only people in all of Egypt that were free was the church because they did not recognize nor would they submit to 
the control of the state. Now, how do you explain all this? The Bible's our rule of faith, right? The Bible's our life-wide manual that we're to use in creating cultures and creating civil governments and creating families and all those things. So why aren't we using Joseph and his civil future planning as the guide for our governments today? Why was Joseph doing all this? He was doing all this to protect the Hebrews, to make Egypt weak, so he could protect the Hebrews from many of their efforts of dominating them. But also, you know why future civil planning worked in Joseph's day? To plan the future, to plan cities, to plan economy, to plan currency value. Uh, value, etc. You know why it worked in Joseph's day? They had an omniscient God revealing to them what to do. So if you're going to be a government and you are going to plan out everything that takes place in your society for the future, you've got to have omniscience if you're going to do any good. You know any politician that has omniscience today? You know any politician that thinks he has omniscience today? <laughs> so you see, future planning of a society, socialism, does not work unless you're omniscient. And the only omniscient being is God. And you've got to know his will. Your will doesn't count. And the only way you can know his omniscient will is for him to re reveal it to you. And everything Joseph did, he did according to divine revelatory dreams that he had had and Pharaoh had had. That God was directing Joseph in every step he took. And Joseph controlled everything. Even Pharaoh said, Joseph, nobody can move a finger Nobody can lift a foot without your permission. Total control. And it's God that told Joseph what to do. Because what he did not only protected Israel from Egypt's uh, tyranny for a time, but it also guaranteed the defeat of Egypt. That's the thing you got to remember. How does God save us from our enemies? God does not save us from our enemies by rapturing us up out of the midst of our enemies. God destroys our enemies. And that's what's happening right here before your eyes, one of the most important moments in the whole history of the world is what Joseph did to Egypt for the sake of the Hebrews.
Verse 27. In other words, socialism only works if you're omniscient. Tell your friends that. They want to know what you're talking about. <laughs> Verse 27. Now Israel, that's Jacob, lived in the land of Egypt in Goshen, and they, Israel was the name of his sons too, and they acquired property in it. He could still own private property and buy and sell it. They were fruitful. They still owned their own labor and their own lives and their own land, and they, as a result, became very numerous. You remember there were 70 people that went to Egypt from Canaan. 400 years later, under the days of Moses, there was 3 million that left Egypt. When the time, verse 29, when the time for Israel to die drew near, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Please, if I have found favor in your sight, place now your hand under my thigh. It isn't the first time in Genesis we read about that ritual. And deal with me in kindness and faithfulness, that is, relentless covenant faithfulness. Please do not bury me in Egypt. When I lie down with my fathers, and you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I'll do as you've said. And he said, swear to me. Jacob saying this to Joseph. <laughs> swear to me. So he swore to him. An old, fragile, weak Israel. 147 years old. Al's in worship, leaning on the head of his bed. What does all that mean? What is this putting your hand under a person's thigh and making an oath? What does that have to do with anything? It was a ritual in ancient Israel. When you were to, to take a vow swearing relentless faithfulness to the covenant bond between you and the rest of the Christians and the living God, you would place your hand under the thigh of the person before whom you're taking the oath. <coughs> because the thigh was in close proximity to the bodily member that bore the side of the covenant. And circumcision in the Old Testament was a sign that you belonged to God. And so that ancient ritual had as its purpose. Swear by the covenant, Joseph, says Jacob. Swear by everything that God has promised. Swear by him, his law, his, his promises. Swear by this bond that you will always be faithful. Even though you're a powerful and influential man in Egypt. That you'll always be faithful. And when I die, don't bury me in Egypt. Bury me in Canaan with my forefathers, Abraham and Isaac. Now, what was Jacob doing at that moment? 
And when he said, don't bury me in Egypt, bury me in Israel, in Canaan. He was saying to Joseph and to his sons, I want you to be future-oriented when Egypt's not. I want you to keep the promised land in mind. Stay in Egypt was temporary. And when in the future we're to keep our eyes on that land flowing with milk and honey. That land of promise that God has given us in which we will flourish and God will bless us. No doubt in Jacob's mind that day was going to come. And you and I must be just as future oriented and think and live and plan toward the future because the future belongs to you. It belongs to me. It doesn't belong to the Canaanites. It doesn't belong to the Egyptians. It doesn't belong to the unbelieving Americans. It doesn't believe to the humanistic Americans. The future belongs to Almighty God who has promised that he would have a seed in this world more numerous than the stars, the sky, and the sand, and the seashore, that that seed would bring the blessings of salvation to all the nations and families of the world and that the entire world, the entire earth, would be put in the position, a uh, possession of those that love the living God. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now there's one last thing. And to me, this is the most, one of the most amazing th events in all the history of mankind is in this chapter. Amazing. Jacob says to Joseph, put your hand under my thigh and swear to me you'll be faithful. To make the oath. The second most powerful man in all the world. The number two man in the whole dynasty of Egypt. Who's giving the oath? A sheep herder. Not many mighty. Not many noble. God shall use the weak and the lowly to humble the high and the mighty. Joseph was a humble man. Nobody in Egypt could move a foot, wiggle a finger, a finger without Joseph's approval. And here he is bowing in homage and submission before his father, who is also a patriarch in the church. Hey, that's the kind of people we have in places of authority in our country. Let's pray. We thank you for Joseph again, Father, for what he did in our behalf.
We thank you for him who is greater than Joseph and what he did in our behalf. Help us to be relentlessly faithful to him. 